Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature interdisciplinary artist Chris Watts. He works primarily in painting and installation. Within his work, he seeks to revise, interrogate, and re-examine social and personal narratives. This re-examination is not to simply supplement a new narrative, but to create a project of disruption. Chris attended graduate studies at Yale School of Art after attending the College of Arts and Architecture at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and the Academy of Fine Arts and Design in Poland. He has held various artist residencies, among them the Marek Maria Pankowski Foundation in Poland, the McColl Center for Art and Innovation in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Art and Law Fellowship Program at Cornell University Art Architecture Planning, and the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council Workspace Program. His work has been exhibited in national and international institutions and exhibitions. Chris lives and works in New York City and North Carolina. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Chris Watts. Welcome to my podcast, Chris. I am delighted to feature you. I'm glad to be here. Let's get started. When did you discover your artistic passion? When did I discover my artistic passion? <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel that I've always had an interest towards visual imagery, like even since I was a kid, you know, like I, whether it was like just randomly putting together Lego sets without the instruction kits, you know, um, I was a big Lego nerd when I was growing up as a kid. Um, my mom would always give me, give me crap about that because they would end up all over the house. Um, uh, the first time that I realized that I was making things without necessarily thinking was an incident, um, again, with my mother. She had this couch, this really long couch in our apartment growing up. And at the time, I was small enough to get behind the couch. And... At times she wouldn't find me, so she'd be calling my name. One time I answered and she kind of pulled back on the couch and I had all of these crayons lined up against the wall and I had this mini mural on the wall behind the couch. And she uh, she wasn't too happy about it, um, but uh, I also didn't, re- I don't remember getting in trouble for it. So I, I think that was a, a good sign. Um, my brother also was also always constantly, constantly drawing. And since, you know, he's my older brother, it, it kind of 
it was like one of those situations where I was always wanting to do what he was doing. So, um, you know, was, I, I, I would always just draw alongside of him and um, I kept drawing and he eventually stopped, <laughs> um, leading me to my certain, my, my current situation. <laughs> I didn't think about art professionally until after my study abroad session in Poland um, in undergrad. And I think that was the first time, I mean, and I, I always knew that you could have a, a life and a career as an artist. Um, but there was something about that experience that just, it was just like, yes, this is what I would like to do. Well, bravo and, and kudos to your mother for not yelling at you. <laughs> it's important to let children just be. Mm-hmm. So early on, do you recall if there was a particular artist or a particular body of work that really influenced you? Um, no, no, not really. I would say if anyone was a huge influence on me, which it was Maya Godleska, who was my first painting instructor, but she ended up being a really, really big influence on me. I probably would not have pursued a serious career path as an artist if it wasn't for what she offered me, not only as a teacher, but watching her navigate her own life um, as an artist. And, you know, she would go on to invite me to participate in the study abroad program in Poland, where she uh, went to school and where she's from. So, so yeah. <laughs> Did you ever lean towards figurative work? Because your work is basically abstraction, right? Yeah, I abstract images. Um, but I think you know, through materiality, I believe one can still have a conversation of figuration. Um, my first work and my earlier work um, was heavy figurative work. I have a multidisciplinary background, and one of those backgrounds is is printmaking and design. And so the early years were me navigating through vintage magazine material, oftentimes Ebony Magazine, Life Magazine. And if you were to come in my studio those days, you would just see a plethora of old magazines from, you know, all the way from like the 40s and 50s up until, you know, the late 80s, brawl through my studio. And I was acting more or less like a director, looking for images within those uh, magazines. And I would scan them in and kind of, you know, put them aside and put them in different categories of people making certain expressions or gestures. And I would go back and pull these pieces together and kind of direct these massive scenes. It was a way for, for, for me to tell stories using images that already existed. And I think at some point after the Philando Castile shooting and watching a lot of police brutality imagery, it made me reconsider the power of the image in our contemporary environment, especially when a lot of these situations are being um, either recorded by pedestrians or cop cams or uh, civilian cameras. Once these images end up in the court of law and for them not to hold up in our court of law, yeah, it just it brought me to a crossroads on how one experience basic human conditions, you know? Yeah, this world we live in. How would you define your practice? 
Um, well, I am an interdisciplinary artist whose practice is kind of heavily grounded in challenging our sensory experience um, of painting. You know, I have a background, as I've said before, in design, painting, printmaking, classwork, and architecture. So my concepts can be pretty expansive, but final projects over the last eight years have been in the form of abstract paintings. And what motivates you to create? Uh, what motivates me to create? I, I would say, you know, the act of meditation. Um, and I know it's kind of <laughs> off, off, off the shelf, um, but, you know, like I, for me, making most of the time brings a lot of peace to me. It's a place for me to escape. Um, meditating does the same thing, you know, and I, I feel like I, I perform best when I'm, as, as they would say in kind of professional sports in the zone, <laughs> you know, where, you know, there's a lot of things kind of going on, but nothing that you do is necessarily wrong or incorrect, but everything just kind of makes sense. And I think being in a um, sincere state of focus or meditation is something I can enter and move in at uh, any given space in the studio. So I kind of look forward to those moments. And do you listen to music while you work? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm a big, I love music. I worked at a experimental jazz club for some time here in the city. You know, if you're in the studio with me, oftentimes you're going to hear a lot of ambient music, experimental jazz, a ton of audiobooks. Also, you'll probably hear um, usually topics that influence my work, but um, texts that, you know, definitely influence my current vibrations. <laughs> and what does your studio look like and feel like? Um, oh, I move around studios a lot. So <laughs> the, current, <laughs> the current space, I, I haven't been in very long, but it's, it's, a, it's a vast space. Um, it has more windows than I've usually had in the past. I've been trying to be in the habit of keeping a tidier space, but, you know, sometimes whenever you're in those zones, the space kind of uh, just takes a, takes a form of its own. Yeah, the clutter just seems to uh, fit in. <laughs> mm -hmm. How would you define black art? Black art? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I think black art is indicative of the people who make it, you know, if you're a person of color um, and you're making art, then I think inherently you make black art. And that's, you know, aside from any conceptual ideas or theories that you are dealing with directly with the work. If you weren't an artist, what career path do you think you would have taken and enjoyed the most? Um... Amongst anything else, I, I would still be an artist. <laughs> I would still be an artist. Um, but knowing my own curiosity, um, the, you know, the time in this life is not limited to me to pursue other interests with, you know, within my own creative spectrum. But I, I, I would love to own a farm one day. That's something that, you know, has, has spoken to me in the last couple of years and it's on my to-do list. Um, I've had the pleasure of actually attending um, law seminars. So, you know, I never would have thought in 
my wildest dreams that I would have an interest towards law, which actually kind of makes sense with a lot of issues that I deal with in my work. But I could see myself as a lawyer of some sort. <laughs> can, can you elaborate on that when you connect a law to your work? Uh, well, thinking about, um, especially with the Black on Black series, which is a series of transparent paintings, particularly only for Black walls. And these paintings, I would consider them very much research-based in that a lot of the data and information collected to inform the work is based out of my interest in police brutality against Black bodies. And a lot of the work, of, of all the work, actually all the work, is dedicated in remembrance to an event of a person of color either being a victim of police brutality or, you know, they were, this situation just ended up in kind of a fatal incident. And so when you're kind of delving into that information, you can't help but to wonder how this very potent evidence of video cams, which is an image, something that you know us as artists learn about, study. We study the power of the absolute image, especially through photography and the lens or video, how these images go to the highest courts of the land and it doesn't suffice. And so for me, my curiosity lies, well, what were the conversations in those courtrooms? What was the evidence presented to the jury? What were the case made by the lawyers? You know, um, so my my pursuit through my own my own work kind of led me in this this place of law conversation and studying law language. And so, yeah, like a, a lot of that was really interesting to me on a conceptual end, and it, and it actually has kind of extended the work beyond um, the work just being a painting and into some kind of other avenues of of installation and multimedia. Do you feel your audience understands your work? I don't, I don't think that the audience understanding the work is really important to my practice. I think if, you know, with enough curiosity, with a curious mind, I think there's a lot to, that could be taken away from my work. If the viewer hasn't maybe experienced anything like it before, or they're kind of connecting the dots of conceptual ideas in the medium and arrive at a sort of a new. But I, I don't know how important it is, at least for me, to continue making or continue exploring for an audience members to say, hey, like, I, you know, if they were like, hey, I just don't understand what you're doing, you know, that, that doesn't really weigh heavy on me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do think about my audience and not a particular audience, but you know, if, if it is human beings <laughs> that are <laughs> experiencing my work, then, you know, their sensory experience is, is something that I consider often, uh, you know, how they're looking at the work, how, by looking, how is that making them feel? And then, you know, inevitably, you know, does that feeling lead to some type of thought and everyone, based on their own personal experience, may come up with a different solution every single time. And abstraction can kind of lend itself to that. When do the titles of your paintings enter the creative process? Before, during, and after. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, a free-flowing 
a free-flowing experience when it comes to titles for me. There's there's times where, um, you know, I do a lot of like free thought writing that sometimes that, that moment needs to happen after a painting is being made and a painting could be finished. And I would just maybe need some time to spend, you know, spend some time with it to figure out how is it really speaking to me. And there's sometimes where I already have, you know, especially if it's in preparation for a project or an exhibition, I may already have a list of 50 titles from just word association, maybe something that I read, um, music that I listen to that can totally influence the work. What are you excited about now? Um, I'm excited uh, about a few things. Just before the beginning of 2020, um, I was one of the few artists casted for a documentary film called The Art of Making It. The film is directed by the talented Kelsey Edwards and brilliantly um, produced by Debbie Wish. Uh, the film um, has participated in over, I think, a dozen film festivals since its, its premiere in 2021. And it is now making its way to the public big screen. So it will debut on July 29th at the IFC Center here in New York. And to my understanding, will run as long as IFC will have it. So it's kind of a big moment um, for all the incredible minds and, and visionaries who, you know, put the film together. The list is too long to name, <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to be a part of that project. See, this summer, I'm also excited about two upcoming exhibitions. One is curated by artist uh, Terry Shifra, uh, called The, the Nunu, and will include 11 new and upcoming artists of color. Uh, Melissa Joseph, Patrick Olson, and Mesral Martinez are just a few whose work grapples with abstraction. And uh, the exhibition will be held at Bloom Gallery in Geneva, Switzerland. See, uh, Open Doors, curated by Ivy Jones, will also open this summer um, at Gallery Le Long here in New York. And this is a multi-generational group exhibition of Carl Hazelwood and Helen Evans Ramsaran and June Edmonds. But that opens Thursday, June 30th um, from anyone who's in the city over the summer. That's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that film myself. How do you keep learning Constantly exploring, um, taking risks is a musk. Um, if you're not taking any risks, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're, you're not learning, you know. I, I make it a point to not mimic myself from work to work. And for me, I, I love kind of pushing that envelope of what's next or what am I capable of. And I, you know, there's... There's a moment in my practice where, you know, I actually really enjoy surprising myself because of the possibility of something being new for me as a, as a visual sensory experience, then it, it could possibly be new for someone else. And to kind of share that process is really exciting for me. And, you know, it's like you're just sharing knowledge. Well, it's certainly important for us to stay excited in life. Um, so this has been a great conversation. I've appreciated it very much. And this is our last question, which is, what do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? Um, my, my belief in the purpose of art is, is, is literally just to document our contemporary surrounding environment. We, 
you know, throughout the history of art and the history of civilization, you know, we often turn to the artists of that time to kind of speak about, you know, what was going on, how people were thinking. And if, you know, historians weren't documenting the emotive side of things, then it was usually captured by the artists. So, you know, I'm just a participant in that and my contemporary environment to document my personal experience as a Black American male, but also as a human being in, in some pretty wild times. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's oftentimes really tough to see the things that are going on in this world. But I, at the same time, I, I like to think of myself as kind of grateful to be alive at such wild times because you become a part of history in a sense. If you are someone who's out there and is feeling all of it and, and can kind of find a way to, to channel it, whether it's for your own sanity, as a lot of artists did through the beginning of, of COVID, uh, you know, how do you grapple with the things that are around you? So, yeah, I, I, I hope that hundreds of years later <laughs> that, you know, someone looking through, you know, these days of time, you know, if they ever come across my work, that they can find um, a little bit of history there. Well, thank you. Thank you for what you do. And um, it's been great speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 